Well, I hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas, and if not, the Lord's still on the throne, right? And He loves us dearly, and let's open our Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29. We'll continue on in our study of the book of Genesis this morning. We've gotten to the point where Jacob is now at the request of his parents. He's headed out on what will turn out to be a very great adventure for Jacob and Jacob's life. And there's a lot for us to learn from the whole story here. And starting in verse one of Genesis 29. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. Now, as we've read in the past, Jacob was a well-digging man himself, right? A man of the field in that sense. He's dug plenty of wells. So he has an understanding of this type of work. Someone else that may have come to this part of the country and you know landed in this spot here where Jacob is may have paid attention to other things, but Jacob here notices the well. This is what stands out to him. And again, this is what he's familiar with. But he also sees there that there are three flocks of sheep lying by this well. And he notices that the stone is in front of the well. Uh, He doesn't quite know it yet, but he has come to the land of his mother's people. His his mother's family, right, where she came from. This is the land that his father had sent him away to, to go and find a wife. If you remember, his mother did not want him to take a wife of the Canaanite women, because they disgusted her as we studied a couple of weeks back. So in reality here, Jacob is where he is at this point in time as a result of obedience to the words of his parents. So he's in a good place right now in that sense. Remember that Ephesians chapter six, verse one through three tells us to obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you'll live long on the earth, right? And again, here we see Jacob, that's what he's done. He's gotten to where he is right now because he's walking in obedience to his mother and father, and he's come to the land of his mother's relatives. And at this well, there are men working here. And verse four says, and Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Okay, so pause right there because this is probably the point in time where Jacob himself knows for sure that he has come to the right place, okay? Haran was the land of Jacob's mother, Rebekah. In Genesis 27, we saw where Rebekah told Jacob to flee to Haran because his brother Esau wanted to kill him. Haran was also the land of his grandfather, Abraham. Abraham's father, Terah, died in Haran. 
And Haran was then the land that Abraham had left to go out to the land of Canaan, the, God, the land that God had promised to him and his people. So Jacob now comes upon these men from this place, from Haran. And he probably knows now I'm in the right place. Then verse five, then he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. Now, does anyone remember who Laban was? He was the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's mother, right? So then he's Jacob's uncle, okay? So that's, what Jacob, that's who Jacob is inquiring about here. Jacob continues to speak to these men here about Laban, and he says to them in verse six, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Okay, so it seems that what has taken place here is that Jacob sees Rachel coming and he is immediately smitten with her, right? And he tries to get rid of these other shepherd boys that are hanging around there and hurry them on his way because he wants to be the one to help Rachel. Remember, he has come to Haran, the land of his mother, for what purpose? He's come here to find a wife from his mother's family. So this was the whole reason for being here. His brother Esau wanting to kill him was kind of a, a prod in his backside, if you will, to get him out the door. But now this time has come and he is about to meet his wife. And he wants to impress her, so he tries to send these guys away. That's what we just read there. But it's too late for that. And verse nine says, now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So Jacob's pretty excited here. It, it, it may have ordinarily taken more than one man to roll that stone away. We don't really know, but Jacob goes and he does it by himself for Rachel here. He rolls the stone and he waters his uncle's flocks. Now, Jacob isn't going to just stop at that though, okay? Because this is love at first sight. This is what we're seeing here, love at first sight. And it holds, and there's no holds barred for, for Jacob here. And verse 11 says, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. So now this is as dramatic as it gets right here. This is a love story and a half, okay? Jacob has found the love of his life. His journey is fulfilled, or at least he thinks it is, right? There's still far more to unfold here, and we'll see that as we go along. But you know, that's the way of love, isn't it? Young couples especially. They want to just move on into forever quickly, don't they? But as 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12 tells us, love is patient. And if it's really worth it, then it's really worth waiting for. And we'll see that Jacob will be put to the test in regards to his love for Rachel. It's happening quick right now, but it's not done. It looks like there she is, the love of my life. This is her. 
He's rushing into all of this, right? But there's a lot that's still ahead for Jacob. And the story continues in verse 12. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. So Laban meets his uncle slash future father-in-law, and he tells him the whole story as to why he was there. Now, if it trips you up a little bit as to Jacob kissing his cousin and ultimately wanting to marry her, we must keep in mind that this was not yet something that God had forbidden to take place, okay? And I talked about this subject back when we studied um, Genesis chapter four, but all the way back in the beginning of time, the genes of mankind were pure. There, there was no problem with this, nor was there any other way around it, really. Okay? If mankind was going to all descend from one couple, Adam and Eve, then there was no getting around the fact that they were going to be marrying their relatives. But it was all good back then in regards to that. But today, that's not the case. The further we have gotten away from the purity of God's initial creation, the more polluted the gene pool of human beings has become. So as a result of this, God would later go on in the law, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and decree that marriage between relatives was no longer acceptable. We'll see that when we get into the law. But this was not the case yet here. Jacob and Rachel. So anyway, Jacob gives the full story here to his uncle Laban. And verse 14 says, and Laban said to him, surely you are bone, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Okay, so here we see that Jacob stayed with his future father-in-law, his slash uncle, for a month. He probably physically stayed in Laban's home for that month. Then he moved out on his own, but he still stayed somewhere either on the property or very nearby because we'll see, he's going to go to work for Laban. But verse 15 says, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So the only thing that Jacob wanted in return for his labor was to marry the woman that he loved the woman that he loved at first sight, Rachel, that is, right? He didn't want the money or he didn't want anything else at this point. He simply wanted to marry the love of his life. To him, everything about Rachel was beautiful as we see there in verse 17. Leah, she was okay, but Rachel was beautiful to him and she was all that he wanted. And we see there in verse 19 that 
Laban appears to be in agreement with this whole deal, doesn't he? And verse 20 says, so Jacob served Laban seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. So again, love is patient. Seven years seem like only a few days in comparison to the love that Jacob had for Rachel. And we see in all of this, the integrity of Jacob here, don't we? He first of all honored his own mother and father and obeyed what they told him to do, which was to leave home and to go and find his wife amongst his mother's people. But not only did he honor his own parents, he also honored his future father-in-law and he served him for seven years. True love really is patient. But it would be well with Jacob in his life and he would indeed live long on the earth. He would have many descendants and would be blessed by God. But you know, there's something else I see in verse 20 here. Because of the love that Jacob had for Rachel, the seven years of hard work that he had to go through seemed like nothing. And you know, for me and you, as we presently toil through a life that by comparison falls miserably short of what awaits us, heaven, right? Right now we're going through this life, but our our love of God gets us through this life. And if your eyes are enamored with God, if you grow deeper and deeper in love with God, even like we sung about, I love your presence, and we continue to seek God, if we do that through this life, the things of this life and the time that we spend here on this earth will seem like no big deal to us because there is something far greater awaiting us. And we get a picture of that with Jacob waiting for Rachel. It seemed like a few days. It seemed like nothing to him. And this life is just a temporary life that we're passing through. And we're going to go on and this life goes by quick, doesn't it? And we're going to go on and be with our Lord. So as we toil here, there's something far greater awaiting us. And we are the bride of Christ and heaven awaits us. And as is the case with this life, though, not everything comes up roses all the time, does it, in this life? In this world, we do have troubled times, even when we walk in obedience to God. And Jacob will now learn that people, that life isn't always fair, and that people don't always do what they say they will do, or or don't always treat you in the way that maybe you think they should. And Jacob's going to learn that. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. So Jacob wants to get married and then consummate this marriage. That's the order we see there in verse 21. First, he takes a wife and then he wants to consummate that marriage. This is, uh, this is marriage in the eyes of God according to his word. Anything else Any other way it's done is fornication. It's sexual immorality. It is sin. Sin that will keep you outside of a right relationship with God and sin that must be repented of. And Laban, verse 22 says, and Laban gathered together all the men of that place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob and he went into her and Laban gave his maid Zilpah, to his daughter Leah 
as a maid. Okay, so a couple of things to be considered here. First of all, we see the father, Laban, walking the bride to the groom to give her away. And we also see there in verse 24, the origination of the concept of a bridesmaid. In this case, the bridesmaid was chosen by the father. But we also see that marriage was immediately consummated, right? That's what you see in verse 23. But why didn't Jacob know that this was not Rachel? Well, in those days, the bride would be completely covered head to toe. The only thing showing would be her eyes. And remember, we just saw back in verse 17 that Leah's eyes were delicate. They were tender, weak, that means, right? But for whatever reason, Jacob must not have paid close enough attention to her. But again, she was pretty well covered up, so it's easy to understand how he could have been fooled here. But let's also remember that Jacob was a trickster himself, wasn't he? Do you remember how he followed the plan of his mother, Rebecca, to fool his father into giving him the birthright instead of Esau? So trickery must have run in Rebecca's family, right? Because we see that her brother Laban is now pulling one over on Jacob now. So in a sense, I guess you can say that Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine here, right? And I'll touch on that again in just a moment here. But verse 25 continues on and says, so it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? What was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Now pause right there because as I mentioned, Jacob is getting a taste of his own medicine. It really does seem that he is reaping from what he has sown maybe. Back in Genesis 27, the birthright really did belong to Esau. This was, uh, this was, a, this was as customary as what Laban is stating here. Laban is saying that the younger should not be given in marriage before the older. This was the custom of their culture. But Jacob didn't want the elder sister. He wanted the younger. So Laban deceived him and pulled the old switcheroo on Jacob, right? Just, a, just, like, Lake, just like Jacob and his mother pulled the old switcheroo on their father, Isaac. But if you remember, I pointed out to you how Rebecca knew that God had told her that her two sons, Esau and Jacob, of those two sons, that the older would serve the younger, if you remember when we studied that. This was God's plan when the twins were still in the womb of Rebecca. So it's what I see here is that it's not the will of man that matters. It is the will of God that matters. Isaac wanted to bless his son Esau, we saw, but this was not what God had planned. Rebecca did whatever she could do to stop it. She devised the plan for Jacob to get the blessing because she knew the will of God. Now, how does that pertain, though, to this story here, the story of Jacob, Laban, Leah, and Rachel? Well, the fact of the matter is, is even though Rachel seems to be the favorite one here, 
This is the, the true love story we see. Jacob and Rachel, she seems to be the favorite one. Even though she was the one that was the more beautiful one, the Messiah, Jesus, wouldn't come from her line of people. The Messiah, Jesus, would come from Leah. Okay, So God's plan supersedes all the plans of man. The deceitful ways of mankind will not prevent the plans of a holy God. God will take that which is meant for evil and work it out for good. God will take that which man twists and divides and plans themselves and still work it out for good. It's God's desire that, that matters, right? It's God's plans that are of the utmost importance. And what God speaks is what will come to be. And he doesn't do things in the way that we always think is the right way. But he alone is God, and we must yield to that. Now, let's mark this page and turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. You'll find it uh, after the Psalms. Actually, it'll be Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. Fifty-five, yep. And very familiar verses. I actually quote these verses a lot, but verse eight, starting in verse eight. So Isaiah fifty-five, eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, these two verses are something that we should consider as extremely profound in our lives as believers, something that we should take to heart. It should be a foundational truth that we live out on a daily basis. Because when we understand that God is above all else, we'll understand how little our opinion matters on things, right? It's like that 8, 10, 12, 16-year-old child, whatever, that acts as if they know everything about life, right? But this is not the case, right? Because we know that an older person learns from experience and has a certain knowledge that a younger person does not have. A younger person, therefore, would be considered wise to take heed to the elders in their lives, and they will find a smoother path through this life. Well, think of that principle magnified to the nth degree. God is far above, far more knowledgeable than we are. We fall miserably short. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. So therefore, the best thing for us to do is to submit to, to rest in, to trust in the will of the Lord that we see in his word, right? So that's what I mean. It's foundational that we learn how awesome our, our God is and that God sees what we don't see. And we tend to look at things with our finite minds and think we can figure everything out and think we understand everything. 
But there's a God that sees what we don't see. Again, we can look at a beautiful story like this of Jacob and Rachel and say, yeah, it's all about Rachel. She's the one. This is everything. But in in God's eyes, as it pertained to the Messiah, it was about Leah. That's who it was about. So it's not always what it appears to be to us. And verse 10 here in Isaiah 55 continues and says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please." and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, like the rain, right? It's oh so important to our sustenance here on the earth, right? It helps the food to grow, right? The rain falls and waters seed. It it makes that seed bud, and and that gives us more seed and, and food to eat. Well, this is the way of the word of God. And we do well to heed the word of God, and make it a daily provision for our souls. Because as we turn back now to Genesis chapter 29, okay, if we do not take time to consider the whole counsel of God's word, we can be left wondering why he does things the way he does things. But in reality, it's not God that's ever doing anything wrong. It's mankind that is taking strange paths. And it's mankind that is twisting things and trying to make things work out for their own good, right? But you see, the story that we're seeing in, in Genesis here, we would, we would make it, if we were writing it, if we were the one writing this story, we would make it so that Rachel, the prettier one, the one with the nice form and appearance, the one whom Jacob loved, she would be the one that the Messiah would come from. Not Leah, the second string wife, right? But again, our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. His ways and his thoughts are much higher than ours. And we simply need to humble ourselves, drop our own thoughts and surrender to our almighty God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Trust in him, as Proverbs 3 says, Five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And I'm actually gonna read that to you later. But, but keep this in mind as we continue through the whole Bible together, if it be the Lord's will that we continue on through the new year in this. Keep in mind that God's plan is bigger, that God's plan is better. And it doesn't always look like or come out like we think it should. And here in Genesis 29, Jacob is married to Leah. She's not the one that he worked for, not the one that he loved at first sight, but again, God's plan is greater and Jacob will now have to press on. Picking it up now in verse 27, after Laban has told Jacob that his younger daughter could not marry before the older daughter, he goes on to say here, Laban says, fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, 
as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went to Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Okay, so what has taken place here is that Jacob did indeed get Rachel as his wife a week after he got Leah as his wife. You see, the custom in that day was that there was a week-long festival for the bride after her marriage. Our custom is that it's all done pretty much in one day, but this was not the case back then in their culture. If you want to later on read an example of what I'm talking about here, you can find it uh, in the story of Samson and Deliah in the book of Judges chapter 14, the idea of this week-long celebration. It was Samson's duty, the husband's duty that is, to throw this week-long celebration for the bride. Today in our culture, this can be fulfilled by the groom maybe providing a honeymoon. Okay, might get a picture of it in our culture like that, right? And isn't it interesting to see that in in these New Testament times, we get glimpses of how we are to handle a marriage today, right? We get pictures of that in the Old Testament, right? A young man asking an older man for his daughter's hand in marriage. We saw that in the story of Isaac and Rebekah, where Abraham uh, sent his servant out on behalf of Isaac to uh, Rebekah's father, right? We also saw this young woman, Rebecca, was receiving fine jewelry, right? Like we have in our culture today. We've seen where the young woman has kept herself pure for her husband. We've seen where the father walks the bride to her husband-to-be. We, we've seen that today. And we've seen the father choosing a bridesmaid. So there are a lot of similarities, right? We've also seen that a young man was willing to work hard for his bride and to provide a place for her to live. We see that in the life of Jacob here. And now we see a week-long celebration for the bride. It's pretty awesome what God has laid out for us in his word, something that we can follow in how we do things today in marriage and how we are to live our lives, of course. So there in verse 30, we see that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. And then verse 31 says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, this too is a pretty powerful verse here because God looks upon the downcast. God sees the, the hurting hearts of this world. He really is big enough to care for each and every individual person. Oftentimes when a, a person lacks in one area, God compensates them in another area of life. God really cares this deeply to look upon people like this. And we'll see that here in the life of Leah. Verse um, 32 continues. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So you see, this was Leah's affliction, 
right? She was unloved by her husband. That's her affliction. Her husband was with her physically. We see that in all that the, in all of the children are going to have together, right? He also provided for her. But men must understand that there's more to loving your wife than this. A man must dwell with his wife with understanding, as we see in Peter in the New Testament. He must realize that she needs love and affection in her life. Okay? And now Leah thought that this son that she now has would make her husband actually love her. But the Bible does not record this type of response from Jacob. Leah didn't get that kind of response. And verse 33 says, Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Now, she called his name Simeon because the name Simeon means listening or heard. Right? So Leah, I'm sure, was praying and crying out to God about how she is unloved by her husband. And indeed, God was listening and God heard her prayers. And that's what the name Simeon means. She conceived, verse 34, and bore a son. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Okay, so Leah is still feeling all of this pain in her heart. Remember, time's gone by with each one of these children, right? But she still has this same pain in her heart of being unloved by her husband. And she thinks that this time for sure, Jacob will love her and come closer to her since she has now given him three sons. The name Levi means joined. And she thinks that Jacob will now be joined with her alone as a result of giving her this son, Levi, right? No woman wants to share a husband, right? And no man wants a woman that's been with other men, right? This, this was not what God ever intended, right? We didn't see that from the very, very beginning. From the very beginning, God created one man to be with one woman and one woman to be with one man. So Leah hopes that Jacob will now be emotionally joined to her so, he, so she names her this son, Levi, joined. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Wow. Now, this is really cool to think about all of this here. Leah has finally come to a place right here where it's not about Jacob anymore in her heart. The first son, let's go back through this again. The first son was Reuben, which I failed to tell you, but his name means behold a son or look a son, right? So with Reuben, Leah was excited. She was like, yay, I have a son, right? Then with Simeon, she was happy that God was hearing her prayers in trying to get Jacob to love her. So she named that son Simeon listening or heard. Then Levi came along and she thought for sure that Jacob would be one with her now. So Levi's name means joined. She thought that her and Jacob would join closer together as a result of Levi. But finally here, she has turned her attention to where it really needs to be in the first place. 
And so she says, now I will praise the Lord. So she named this child Judah, which is praised. So there's a clear lesson in that right there for us, isn't there? We can keep striving and striving to get what we want, or we can just simply praise the Lord and rest in the fact that he will work everything out according to his plan. This would be the last child for Leah. Or at least for now, it will be the last child for Leah. Because we'll see when we get to chapter 30 that Leah will again start bearing children. But now she has had Judah. And from Judah would come this son, Judah. From Judah would come the line of the Messiah, Jesus. So Leah seemed to never be loved by her husband. But God had a plan that he was working out in Leah's life. And God showed Leah great favor. Now, it's not that God didn't love Rachel. Because we will see that he will open her womb. And she will have a son named Joseph. That will figure very prominently in God's plan for his people, Israel. We'll see that as we continue through the Bible. But again, what we uh, learn from what we've seen today, I believe, is what Isaiah, what I read to you in Isaiah 55, uh, in regards to the Lord, that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God's saying that just like that, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, again, it's God's will that matters. It's God's plan that must unfold in our lives. But we have to take time to be focused on God and to be surrendered to God and finally give, get to that place where we give up in a sense. Like Leah, she gave up. It's, oh, this son, he's gonna love me. Oh, this son, he's gonna love me. Oh, this son, he's gonna love me. I give up, I'm just gonna praise the Lord. I'm just gonna surrender to the Lord. So it's not our will. It's not the government's will of this world. God is greater. God is above all. He knows all. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think according to his power that is at work within us. And of course, the power of God that is at work within us is his Holy Spirit. And we must yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. We must not be led by our own carnal minds, our own flesh, and say, this is what I want. This is what I'm striving for. This is what I'm going to have. And it's all about me, me, me. No, it needs to be all about God because he has the perfect plan for our lives. We must be led by the Spirit. Otherwise, we will be striving for all of the wrong things in this life. Leah's life was an important one. Though Rachel seemed to get all the attention. Though Rachel seemed to get all the, the love, right? And your life is an important life in the eyes of God, but you must yield yourself to him. I'm gonna show you the scriptures I 
started, uh, I quoted to you earlier, and we're going to close on these, but turn to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll start reading in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, pause right there because you really should take some time to meditate on that scripture because so many times, whether in good times or bad, we want to have it our way, right? We want things to go the way we desire for them to go, again, as we saw with Leah. We say, if this happens, if if that happens, then everything will be perfect. If I could just have this or just have that, right, it'll all be well. But Leah, again, finally came to that place where her eyes were upon the Lord, where they always needed to be. And if we trust in the world, if we trust in the things of this world or the people of this world, if we seek our um, fulfillment, our approval from others, right, we will walk through this life sorely disappointed. We cannot lean on our own ability to understand things. We saw in the story, Jacob loved Rachel, but it took time for him to get her as his wife. Leah wanted to be loved by a husband, as all women do, but God had a plan that he was working out in her life. So what we are to do is found in verse six here in Proverbs three, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. It really is that simple. God is above all. He knows all. He sees all. And if we know this, we must live like it. And just in all of our ways, in everything we do, acknowledge him and he'll direct our paths. Verse seven, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So do you get the picture here? It's not about you, it's, it's not about me, it's all about him. It's all his. And this is where he wants you and me to be today, in a place of reverence, in a place of surrender, where we recognize and realize it's all his. All that is within us, all that we own, All of it, we surrender to him and we acknowledge him in all that we do and in all of our possessions. Today, as I mentioned when we were praying earlier, is the last Sunday that we will gather in 2015. A new year is upon us. And the only New Year's resolution that will ever matter in your life is when you resolve to just give it all up and submit everything about your life to the will of God. It's the only New Year's resolution that'll ever matter in your life. Do you want a happy new year? Do you want a happy every year? Then do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, right? Praise the Lord like Leah finally did. It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones when we finally give it all up and we rest and 
in the Lord and we acknowledge him and we honor the Lord with everything we have, with all of our possessions, right? We give our, our lives entirely to seeking the will of the Lord. And you know, I love to quote this verse, but I'll close this morning by encouraging you to seek first the kingdom of God in your life and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you, Jesus said. In other words, and you've heard me say it a thousand times, well, that's an exaggeration, but I've said it a lot, that we need to put Jesus above all else. We need to put the Lord God above all else in our lives, and he'll take care of the things because he looks upon our lives, just like he looked upon Leah, and he saw her hurting heart, and he cared for her, and he opened her womb, and he blessed her, and he finally brought Leah around to that place in her life where she said, I'm going to just praise the Lord. I'm giving up, and then she stopped bearing children at that point because God's will was fulfilled in her life. And God has a plan and a purpose for all of us in each and every day of our lives. And it's a good time as we go into a new year to surrender to God, surrender more things to make that choice in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your holy word, your living word that is, that is powerful and that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts deep within us, Lord. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, Lord. Again, we, we sit in this room this morning here as individuals, Lord, but yet you look upon our heart as individuals. Even as we studied uh, two weeks ago, I believe it was, Lord, but you look upon us in that way. Lord, you care for us just as we see in the life of Leah. You saw her, her, her hurting heart. You saw everything about her, Lord. And But Lord, it is your desire that we would just praise you, that we would just surrender all to you, that we would take our eyes off of ourselves and off of the things of this world, Lord, and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, as your word says, Lord. Lord, a year comes to a close, and we are thankful for this year. But Lord, as we enter into a new year, Lord, and I know, Lord, that the new year probably has no impact on you and your will, Lord, but yet it, it's a marker in our lives, Lord, and an opportunity for us to, to make new choices, to make a decision, Lord, to, to leave one thing behind and move on to something else, Lord. And Lord, I pray that in all of our hearts, we will just let go of all the things that bog us down, the, the sin that so easily besets us, the weight that we carry upon our shoulders sometimes, Lord, that we don't need to bear. Lord, for your word tells us to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. So Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us here that we will just drop that bag of burden that we carry around, Lord, whatever it may be, that we will seek you more and more, Lord, from the depths of our hearts on a daily basis. Thank you, God, again for your presence in our lives, your faithfulness. Thank you for your holy word that you have not left us comfortless. You have not left us alone. You've given us of your Holy Spirit who teaches and leads and guides us through this life. So be glorified in our lives. And we thank you again for this time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.